0: Let's get to our message today. It's from John 12, uh, 12 to 26. The Word of God reads, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the, temp- at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, "'The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life.' Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son. And especially this week of all weeks, we thank you because we know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing that he was going to go to the cross five days later. And we thank you, God, that you know, that you loved us this much, and you cared for us this much. But Father, today, as we remember um, this Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, we pray that you will lift up our hearts and our minds to truly know you, and to truly understand your heart behind Palm Sunday and behind Passion Week. We thank you so much in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin my sermon with a a story. And the story takes place during the Great Depression in the 1930s. You guys all knew that, right? The Great Depression in the 1930s? Yes. You know, Uh, a father was able to keep bread on the table, but that was it. When his little boy burst into the house excitedly, talking about the circus coming to town, the father knew that he could not afford the $1 admission. 1930. Okay, $1 admission. Um, The boy had never seen the circus, and it wasn't right that a boy did not see a circus, especially when he was eight. So the father made a deal. He told his eight-year-old son, you find enough jobs to earn 50 cents, and I'll give you the other 50 cents. Well, the little boy did it. You know, he worked all these odd jobs, got the 50 cents, you know, and true to his promise, the father gave him the other 50 cents. And so this boy runs off, and he buys a ticket for the circus in advance. Now, when the circus parade was going by, there's always a parade before the circus, he was, this boy was right at the curb, not missing a thing. And when the clown danced past him, the boy handed the clown his ticket. And when the parade was over, he rushed home to tell his dad all about it. The father, surprised at his son's early return, asked him to describe what he saw at the circus. And then, heartbroken, The father took the boy into his arms and said, Son, you didn't see the circus. All you saw was the parade. Sad story, isn't it? It is. But it's amazing how many times even in our faith, how we celebrate the parade, yet we miss Jesus. And that's the point of today's message. You know, 2,000 years ago in the streets of Jerusalem, there was a huge parade. And the parade was so huge that they actually named a Sunday after it 2,000 years later, which is called Palm Sunday, right? And this was huge. This, This day was absolutely huge. It was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And that day was crazy because all these people lined the streets for Jesus Christ. His whole life he was never celebrated for some reason. This day he was celebrated. People lined the streets and it was crazy. They would, like, throw down their cloaks onto the ground so that Jesus on a donkey could ride over it, right? That's crazy. You don't throw down your coat onto the ground so that some horse or donkey can, like, ride over it, right? But they did. But not only that, but they threw, they threw palm branches on the ground. And so why, why would they do that? Like, palm branches were symbols of victory. They were symbols of triumph, right? And so these people... You know, they were shouting, and these people, they were shouting phrases like what? We say, Hosanna. Do you guys know what the word Hosanna means? We probably all sang it at church. Do you guys know what Hosanna means? It means God saves. That's a pretty good thing to yell, isn't it? That's what they were saying. And then they were shouting titles like, Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were saying, you are the king of Israel, right? Everybody was completely excited, for what Jesus was going to do for them, and so they come out and they throw their jackets on the ground, they throw these palm branches, and so the question is this: What made them so excited? Like, what was it about Jesus? What is it? What was it that Jesus well, Jesus was going to do for them that made them so excited that they would like literally trash their jackets, <laughs> you know, their cloaks, the things that keep them warm at night, in order to celebrate Jesus. And the thing is, this. What, look, what is it? What did they say? They said, "Well, he was going to save them. God saves, right? He was going to rule on their behalf. He's the Lord and King." And the vocabulary that they were using was 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 spot on. It was perfect. The concepts that they were conveying about who Jesus is is absolutely correct. But their understanding of how Jesus was going to accomplish those things was absolutely wrong, right? How do we know? Because the text tells us. Verse 16. Verse 16 says that Jesus' closest companions, his disciples, the people who knew him best. What does it say? At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Even his disciples had no idea how this was all going to go down. Right? Verse 19, the Pharisees, Jesus' enemies, also stated that the people didn't understand him either. They said, look, the whole world has gone after him. What does that mean? And what, he, what they meant by that was very, very simple. What, what they saw was that they saw this whole crowd, all these crowd of these Jewish people going after Jesus. Everybody was celebrating Jesus. But this is what we need to realize about what was happening at that parade. They were all celebrating Jesus, but the glory that the people were seeking was completely different to the glory that Jesus was after. Okay? You see, these people, they came out that day to that parade. They threw it on their cloaks. they, they, they celebrated Jesus through palm branches. Palm branches were symbols of victory and triumph. Who Who are they going to have victory over? Who are they celebrating the triumph over? And this is what they believed, and this is how we know because of the palm branches, they believed that Jesus Christ was going was, was going to liberate them from the Roman oppression. You know, they were slaves of the Roman Empire. So they literally believed that Jesus was coming that day to Jerusalem to establish his reign over the Roman Empire. It was like, no longer are we slaves, man. No longer will we be, treat, will we be treated like second-class citizens by this Roman Empire. Jesus is here, Son of God, sent by God to come so that we, he can put Israel back on the map. And we are now going to be at the top of the food chain. And so they celebrate Jesus because he's going to come in for this triumph and for this victory right? And so these Jews, if you think about it, what they were really celebrating as Jesus came into Jerusalem that day wasn't this son of God who was going to die upon the cross for their sins so that they could return to God. This king who would establish that for them, that's not what they were celebrating. But what they were really celebrating was their future position as the future rulers of the world. Isn't that interesting? But that's why they were throwing palm branches Symbols of victory, symbols of triumph. Right? No longer are we going to be slaves to the Romans, but we're not gonna we're now gonna be the rulers of the rule, the, of the world. So they throw down their cloaks and they, they're like tossing palm branches like there is no tomorrow because they truly believe that Jesus was gonna give them that victory. That was the glory they were seeking, right? And know, anyway, we listen to stuff like that now, we're like, okay, that's a little bit messed up. Man, didn't they understand? Didn't they know? Even the disciples didn't know right? Pharisees, no one knew all that. They didn't understand any of that stuff. And we, 2,000 years later, we're like, oh man, they're pretty, you know, they didn't know what was going on. But you know what's sad? What's sad is 2,000 years later, sometimes the church is no different. Sometimes the Christians are no different, you know? And this is what I mean by that. You know, we may not be under Roman rule, but we still see people today worshiping Jesus, not for his glory, but for the glory that Christ can give them. You know what I'm talking about? It happens a lot. You know, God, make me great. Make me the ruler of this industry. You know, give me freedom in my finances. You know, make me successful. Make me famous. Make a name for me. And even 2,000 years later, later, we see that sometimes the church is no different. Because we think that Jesus came to die on a cross so that somehow we can be glorified. You know? If that's who Jesus is to you, then today's message is going to be good. Okay? Today's message is a message that you really do need to hear because your glory is not the glory that Jesus came to seek. Okay? Nor will he ever seek. So, what was the glory that Jesus was seeking? That he tells us in the next section in verses 23 to 24. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So in verse 23, Jesus tells all of these disciples straight up, It's time for me to be glorified. And if you're hearing that for the first time, it sounds like, oh wow, it sounds like Jesus is a little bit full of himself. But then all of a sudden he says something that no one ever expected, and none of us would ever expect. He says, but the way I'm going to do that, the way I'm going to glorify myself is by dying, is by being crucified. Who says that? I'm going to glorify myself by being crucified. What's he saying? He's basically saying that there are a lot of people in this world that will worship Jesus, and that will celebrate Jesus for what he can do for them. Those are the people that show up to the parades. But what Jesus is looking for, and the kind of worshipers that Jesus is looking for, is the people who are going to come to the main event, the people who want to glorify him. So what's the main event? It's the crucifixion on Good Friday, right? How many people were at that crucifixion? Not many. A lot of people at the parade, but not many people at the crucifixion. The crucifixion is what will save people. God saves, right? His crucifixion and resurrection is what proves proves him to be Lord and King. This whole Easter weekend, this whole Easter event is what will give Christ glory. But you know what he's also saying? He's also saying that he died on the cross and resurrected from the dead ultimately to give glory to himself. And And the point I'm trying to make is this. You know, when, whenever we talk about the gospel, whenever we talk about the gospel, we always say Christ died for us. Christ died to save us. And it's so true. We are beneficiaries of everything that happened on this Easter weekend. God, out of his love for us, loved us so much he sent his son, one and only son to die for us, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes, we are beneficiaries completely of everything that went on this weekend. But, and that's exactly what God wants for us, but, when you think about what he's saying here, and when you think about ultimately what we've been learning in our Colossians series, especially these past three weeks, Jesus died and resurrected to win us back to his design. Isn't that what we've been talking about? Right? He died to win us back to his design. What exactly was that design? To be image bearers of the king so that we can live a life that gives him glory. That's it. That's what we've been talking about for these past few weeks. And so the truth is this. We were ultimately saved, not for us, but for him, and for his glory, so that we might give him glory. And that's a fundamental truth that so many of us forget. And it's kind of, you know, in our culture, we don't like hearing stuff like that, but it's so true. Our lives are not about us. Our lives were never, ever designed to be about us. It was always to be about Christ and His glory. And here we go. And until you truly, completely, not only understand that, but comprehensively celebrate that as your salvation, unless you do that, you will always struggle in your faith. And the reason why you're always going to struggle within your faith is because there's always going to be a part of you that thinks, man, how come I'm not getting any? How, How come I'm not getting mine? Because there's a part of us that will always believe that salvation was about me, about about me benefiting, about me having a certain type of life that I want. But Christ says comprehensively, no, I saved you for my glory. And the moment that you realize that, and it is liberating, that's the freedom that Christ came to set us free for. Then we can live our whole lives for him. And that's where you find, we find our deepest pleasures, our deepest satisfactions, and our deepest joys in giving him the glory that he deserves. Because that's what we were designed for, right? Um, You know, as you fast and meditate this week, this is what I hope for the most. Is that as you fast, it's not just that, you know, you think of the story and you feel bad for Jesus and then you just, you're thankful. And that's good. That's good too. But I hope throughout this week as you fast and as you meditate upon the gospel and what Christ actually did for you throughout this week and what it really means that he died and resurrected i really hope that you come to this conclusion that wow everything in this world was created for him and his glory which means that i was too and until i literally give myself and surrender myself completely to him to live for his glory and until that becomes my greatest desire and my life's mission, then maybe I'll never be satisfied and joyful in this life unless I do so, and until I do so. And I hope that that realization that he died so that we could live for his glory, I hope that truth brings great revival into your heart this week. right? Because that, that, it'll make it all about him. And that's the goal. A mother of a nine-year-old son, Mark, got a call from a teacher at school one day. If you're a parent here, you know that's terrible. You never want to get a call from school, right? But a mother gets a call from school. Uh, but this is a good instance, actually. A teacher told his mother, oh, Mrs. Smith, I just wanted to call to tell you that what Mark did at school today. It's something that I've never seen before. So this morning I was teaching a lesson on creative writing. And as, as I always do, I tell the story of the aunt. And the grasshopper. Do you guys know the story of the ant and the grasshopper? I'll tell it to you. The ant works hard all summer, stores up plenty of food. But the grasshopper plays all summer, does no work. The winter comes, the grasshopper begins to starve because he has no food, so he begins to beg. Please, Mr. Ant, you have so much food, please let me eat too. Then I said, boys and girls, your job is to write the ending of the story. But your son Mark raises his hand and he says, teacher, may I draw a picture Well, yes, of course, Mark, you can draw a picture if you like, but first you must write the ending to the story. And as in all years past, most of the students said, the ant shared his food um, through the winter, and both the ant and the grasshopper lived. Some other children wrote, no, Mr. Grasshopper, you should have worked all during the summer, but because you didn't, um, I don't have enough food for both of us. So the ant lived, and the grasshopper died. But your son... Ended the story in a way different from any other child ever. He wrote, The ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper. The grasshopper lived through the winter, but the ant died. <laughs> right? and, and the picture at the bottom of the page, Mark drew three crosses. Right? You know, unlike so many others, sometimes nine-year-olds, understand Easter better than a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? He understood why Jesus had to come. He Jesus didn't come to head up a parade. Jesus came to die to give other people life, true life, true eternal life that we know God and we worship him with all that we are. And that's what this 9-year-old was illustrating. So What is that type of life that Jesus wants to find within each one of us? Verse 25 and 26. And this is the harder teaching of today. It says this. It says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me you know i'm going to talk about this verse a little bit more in detail at the end but essentially he says that a true follower of christ hates our life in this world because we know that we've been saved out of it so that we can use our whole lives the way we've been designed and that's to serve him and give him glory with all that we have that's essentially what jesus is saying here you know there's a series on right now media uh, you guys know Right Now Media. Hopefully everyone, everyone has an account. If you don't have one yet, tell your CG leaders. You guys got it on this thing. It's absolutely awesome. Um, maybe you can watch it this week. There's a series called Not a Fan. It's by Kyle Eidelman. I think that's his name. You know, and it's a great, just, you should watch it. It's absolutely great. And it basically talks about everything I'm just talking about in this message today. But in that series, basically two types of Christians are described. There's one he calls the fans, Right? Fan, and then and then there's also followers fans are people who are enthusiastic about Jesus they totally admire Jesus they're absolutely knowledgeable about Jesus and they celebrate Jesus so that sounds really really good right but the thing about fans is they don't like sacrifice their lives for Jesus you know they don't count the cost for Jesus nor do they die themselves die to themselves to live. For Jesus they're kind of like the people that we see at the Palm Sunday parade they're those types of people you know but the thing is as you read the Gospels if you just read Matthew Mark Luke or John this week maybe that you might do during Passion Week what you're gonna realize is that there's a lot of fans you're gonna read about a lot of fans in Scripture but Jesus doesn't really pay attention to the fans it's really interesting you know like if you go around telling people yeah I'm a Christian yeah I believe in Jesus I don't know if Jesus cares about that, that much. Of course, he cares who you believe in and what you believe in. But just because you tell people that you're a Christian, that you believe in Jesus, I don't know how much Jesus values that. Why? Because that's what fans do. You know what I'm saying? We put on the jerseys. We cheer for our teams. You know, sometimes we buy tickets to go see a game. That's what we do. We love them. And so we totally believe in the teams. But the thing is, and that's what fans do. And a lot of times fans of Jesus are no different. You know, we're the first. Some of us fans, you know, We're the first ones to buy the Christian t-shirts, to listen to the Christian music in our cars. You know, we're the first person to tell our non-Christian friends, oh, got to go to church this weekend and associate with more Christian people. We might even pay to go to a camp or a conference. But the question is this, did Jesus die upon the cross for enthusiastic admirers? And the answer is no. He died so that people could be the type of followers that he describes in verses 25-26. People who are willing to die and lose their lives for his glory every single day so that he might be glorified and so that they can serve him and love him with their lives. That's a follower, right? Today, the whole goal of today's message is very simple. I know it's a little bit serious, a little bit strong, but to me, someone died this week. My God died this week, so that's serious. And I want you to understand what was on his heart as he goes through Passion Week. And that's this. As you think about, I want, this is what I want you to think about this week. Ask yourself honestly, am I a fan of Jesus? Do I, do I love getting caught up in the rah-rah of being a Christian? Or am I really a hardcore follower? Someone who's willing to give myself and die to myself and to give myself for his glory no matter what that costs every day. Which one am I? I really believe that's the question that always is on the table, because that's what Jesus is dying for. Are you one of the guys that would rather cheer at a Christian parade and not die for him? Or are you one of those guys that would love to be at the foot of the cross, waiting for the command to die? You know, it's like one of those. It's pretty radical, but that's really the picture that's being painted here. Jesus, you know, verses 25 and 26 makes it even clearer. There are two characteristics of what it takes to be a follower of Christ. Not a fan, but a follower. And the first is death. In verse 25, Jesus says that his followers hate their lives in this world, and they're willing to choose, they're willing to lose it so they can invest eternally with it. You know, what actually separates fans from followers is this choice every single day to say, you know, this life is not mine. Christ died so that I could be saved, I could live according to his design. So, you know what? Today I'm going to choose to live it for him no matter what it costs. I'm going to reconcile with people I hate. You know, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to like literally turn the other cheek. I'm going to serve other people. I'm going to consider myself nothing compared to everyone else. And I'm going to serve them so that the glory of God can shine through me. This is what I was called to be. Followers, right? Fans say everything and know everything, but the moment that they encounter a cost, that they got to pay something in order to follow Jesus, that's when they say no, you know? If you guys don't know, I don't really talk about my personal passions and stuff like that on the pulpit too often, but I'm a South Sydney Rabbitohs follower, if you're if you're a league person, right? Uh, I'm a big bunnies guy. Um, sorry if you're a Sydney Roosters fan, You know, we killed you guys this weekend, you know, but you suck. That's why. Anyway, uh, I'm a big South Sydney Rabbitohs fan. And the thing is, you know, uh, when I first got married, like, you know, I don't know, 14 years ago, my wife discovered that I was, you know, and I I like watching League. And so, you know, I bought a jersey for my birthday. My wife bought me like a jacket, you know, a South Sydney jacket. It's it's sexy. I should have worn it today, you know. But um, anyway, but. I thought I was pretty hardcore, you know? I bought the gear. But then, the moment I realized that I wasn't a true fan was the moment I got an email from South Sydney asking me to become a member (laughs) for 50 bucks, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden, I got this email, and I was like, no way, delete, (laughs) you know? And that's how you know. That's how you know if you're one of them or not. Do you know what I'm saying? If you were really one of them, I'd be like, oh dude, what is it? I want to be a platinum member. And <laughs> you'll pay the five hundred dollars, whatever it is. I don't know. Because that's how you know if you're just a fan or if you're a hardcore follower. Where am I? You know, the thing is, that's all the you know, we can all be like that towards Jesus. As long as it doesn't cost us anything, yeah, of course I'll follow Jesus. I'll tell everyone I follow Jesus. As long as it doesn't cost me anything, if it costs me a few dollars here and there, no big deal. If it costs me a minute here, 30 minutes here, okay, fine. I guess I could sacrifice two and a half hours on a Tuesday night to go to CG. As long as it doesn't cost me anything, as long as it doesn't cost me too much, yeah, okay. But the moment it starts costing me my career, you know, the moment it starts costing me my, like, reputation, the moments that's costing me like my standing among other people, my salary, my stuff, my family, that's when I'm gonna draw the line, man. That's when I'm gonna probably put on the brakes a little bit in my heart. That's why what Jesus says in verse 25, it's brutal, but it's so clear, isn't it? He says it takes death. People are willing to hate the world, hate their life. He literally says, people who are willing to hate their lives in this world. That's, the, that's what the literal thing says. If, we, if you want to, you can look in your Bible. The people that he wants are people who are willing to hate their lives. And it doesn't mean that you hate it, that you actively wake up and you hate it. But what he's saying is, when you look at Jesus, you're so in love with him, and you realize he's so worthy to give everything for, that everything else and the world's priorities mean nothing to you. That's what it means. And of course, I'm going to choose him. And that's what he means, right? Because we love Jesus so much. Followers are willing to pay any price to follow after God. So they live this life of self-denial, cross-bearing. And if you're living this kind of life, I'd say you are a follower. Secondly, he says in verse 26 that a true follower serves him. Right? Jesus literally says, you know, wherever I go, that's where my 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 follower is. He's always with me, ready to do the will of God. And when he's ready and I call him, he will serve. And then he says, My father will reward those who serve me. Right? So it's not just like, oh, yeah, this is who I believe in. No, your life proves who you follow. That's what he's saying. Service proves that. Death and service. I don't think there's two better vocabulary words that describe a true follower compared to a fan, right? Fans, I ain't going to die for South Sydney, that's for sure. I ain't going to die for anything. No rugby team, you know, whatever, no sports team. But, you know, it's a tough one. Will I die for Jesus? Hopefully. Hopefully I'll get there. I don't know if I fully can, but hopefully I can get there, you know. But serve him, of course, you know. That's what he's looking for. If you're not sure which one you are, that's why we have Passion Week. This is the best week for you to figure it out. This is the best week for you to fast and seek after Christ and ask yourself, Jesus, am I really living the life that you died for this weekend? Or am I just a fan? Help me become a follower. And I hope that happens for you this week. I'm going to end my sermon with a dramatic story. So it's a little bit dramatic by dramatic, I mean it's a little bit like tear jerky but you know so I'm, I'm warning you it may not be but anyway it was a it was an article that I read uh, but it was written by a pediatrician but this is I'm just going to read it Dr Smith tells a story of a little girl in his wife's Sunday school class his wife Dr Smith's wife had prepared a lesson on being useful and told the children that everyone can be useful in serving God There was a short moment moment of silence and a little girl named Sarah spoke up Teacher, what can I do? I don't know how to do many useful things. So Mrs. Smith, you know, she had not anticipated that kind of response, but she quickly looked around and spotted an empty flower vase on the windowsill. Sarah, she said, you can bring in a flower and put it in the vase. That would be a useful thing. Sarah frowned, but that's not really important. But the teacher said, it is, if you are helping Someone. So sure enough, the next Sunday, Sarah brought in a dandelion and placed it in the vase. In fact, she continued to do so each week. Without reminders or help, she made sure the vase was filled with a bright yellow flower Sunday after Sunday. When her pastor found out about it, he put the vase in the main sanctuary next to the pulpit. That Sunday, he gave a sermon on the honor of serving others, using Sarah's vase as an example. The congregation was touched by the message, and the week started on a good note. But during the same week, Sarah's family discovered that she had leukemia. Dr. Smith was her pediatrician, and he did his best to explain to Sarah's parents that there was nothing that could be done to save her life. He says, I don't think I've ever had a more difficult conversation than the one that I had that night. Eventually, Sarah became confined to bed and to the visits that many people gave her. She lost her smile, she lost most of her weight, and then the end was near. That Sunday, at the end of the sermon, the pastor suddenly stopped speaking. His eyes wide, he stared at the back of the church, and everyone turned to see what was what he was looking at. It was Sarah. Her parents had brought her for one last visit. She was bundled in a blanket, dandelion in one hand. She slowly walked to the front of the church where her vase was still perched by the pulpit. She put her flower in the vase and a piece of paper beside it. Then she returned to her parents. Four days later, Sarah died. At the funeral, the pastor showed Dr. Smith the note Sarah had left. It said, Dear God, the vase has been the biggest honor of my life, Sarah. It's amazing sometimes how children get it better than we do, you know. Followers die. Followers serve. So let's consider every daily death and service the greatest honor of our life every day. There's only one thing I want you to realize this week as we fast and seek and get closer to Jesus. You know, on Palm Sunday, once again, the whole, the whole city was lined with fans. But come Good Friday, where were they? They were all gone. What Jesus really wants is followers. Peoples whose greatest joy, whose greatest honor is to die to serve him. You know, that's what he's looking for. Let's make sure that we never waste our lives as a Christian celebrating parades. But let's sure let's always make sure that we use our lives celebrating and giving glory to the Savior. Be a follower, not a fan. Let's pray. You know, I know it's a bit serious this week, but it's serious because this is the week that Jesus died. And maybe there, there were Good Fridays and Easter weekends past where you totally missed it. And sometimes we do. But I don't want you to miss it this week. There's a reason why Christ died and was resurrected. And he did so so that we could become followers, image bearers of the King, he called each day joyfully to serve him and to die so that he could be glorified. And I pray as you fast this week and as you think, meditate upon who Christ is and what he did for us, I really pray that your heart really just once again just receives his joy and he becomes everything once again to you. If you. If that's what you want your life to be about today, starting from today, can I ask you just to repent of your sins today? Put your faith in Jesus Christ for your forgiveness. And begin today to live for his glory. And let's really pray that Christ and the gospel transforms all of us. Not to become fans or professional Christians, but to become true followers of Christ. Let's pray. Ask God to reveal Himself to you. Ask God to use your fasting powerfully so that you could really truly know who Christ is and truly know who Christ saved you to be. Let's really pray that that happens this week. Let's just spend 30 seconds, 30 more seconds in prayer together. Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, so that we might know you. And Father, so we might realize that the lives that you gave us can only find its true satisfaction and joy and purpose when it really is lived for your glory alone. We confuse it so often because we want so much for ourselves. But Lord, teach us how to use your gifts. Teach us how to use the life that you gave us to make you great through them. And Lord, because that's all we want, especially this week. Purify our hearts. Purify our motives. Purify our thinking. Purify our desires and the direction of our lives so that you might receive all the glory through us. And Father, so that we might be a church that really just honestly loves you for who you are and wants to see your name glorified. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, for replacing our sinfulness with your righteousness, and for showing us and teaching us and proving to us what love truly is so that we might love you in exactly the same way. Help us to do so for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.